So as I was preparing for tonight, uh, the Lord made it evidently clear that love was the topic. So much so that I wasn't sure. I was like, Lord, what do you want me to preach on? And he, he kept it very simple. He just said, love. I said, okay. And so I started doing something else. And he was like, no, fool, I said love. And so I uh, kept getting directed back to love. And, and as I dug into it more, um, it's, it's just really cool, uh, God's love. But I started to ask the question, what is love? So I thought, well, maybe I can look up and find some good examples to share with you guys so you can kind of visualize it. So this is, this is one thing that I found that demonstrates love. So that's a pretty good demonstration of love, right? If that doesn't work for you, maybe, maybe something like this. And if you can't relate with that, well, I got one more. Maybe, maybe something like this. So that's all love, right? Well, that's, that's Hollywood's picture of love anyway. You know, it's our society and, and the media and everything paints love as this crazy emotion, this overwhelming slow motion embrace in the field or, you know, floating feeling just... Uh, and it's really not that. Um, Mark touched on it a few weeks ago, but love's not an emotion. Love is an action. Um, in the Bible you see the word uh, love, and, it, and it's a verb. And we know that a verb is an action. So, Strong's G25, agapeo, 144 times in the New Testament, and you'll see that it says it's a verb. And every time in those 144 times that it's used, it's still a verb. It's an action. So love is an action. It's, it's not an emotion. And the Bible also is clear that it's that love is not a conditional action. We're not called to love only those who love us or those that are easy to love or that are extremely lovable like me. <laughs> you know, that's easy. It's easy to love our kids, our friends, our family. But what about our enemies? In Matthew five, forty three through forty eight it says this For you have heard it said you have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect." And for those of you that have may have been around for a while, you might remember that that word perfect means complete. And in Christ we're complete, and we can have that perfect love. So, so Jesus showed us the perfect example of love and it not being conditional or based on emotion. This is what love really looks like. Jesus showed his love for us on the cross. And aren't you glad that it's not a conditional love or one based solely on emotion? His love is unconditional. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare to even die. 
But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't do it because we earned it. He didn't do it because we were super awesome to him or he had this crazy emotion for us. I'm sure he did. But if you think about it, I mean, he was, he was beaten. His body was broken. His blood was spilled out for us. He had nothing to gain from that but a death reserved for the worst of criminals. For God so loved the world. This is what it means to love, friends. The love that Jesus asks of us is one of sacrifice. One that's displayed in action. One that is evident even when the emotion we associate with love is not there. When it's not easy or convenient. Love isn't about us. It's not me-focused. He's our example of love. And he asks us to have this love in our lives as well. When we're in him, we're incomplete and we can have that love. So I'd like to look at a few of the, of the areas in our lives that God would like us to display that love in our marriages, with our children, and to our neighbors. <clears throat> in Ephesians 5, 21 through, through 33, it says, And further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church, and we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illusion, or illustration an illusion, of the way Christ and, and the church are one. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So we're, we're to submit to one another. And we need to be careful because sometimes we miss this part. If you, if you read this passage, it, it seems to be focused to a degree on the wives submitting and respecting. But you, you've got to remember not to miss that first part. It says, submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. So it looks like this. Wives submitting to husbands, husbands to wives, and both to Christ. This is the key to the love that we're to have in marriage. We submit to one another and both to God. And with him in the center, we can have the love in our marriage that God wants. In verse 25, it says that we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. So how did Christ love his bride? He gave up his life for her. That's what it says in that verse. So when we get into a marriage relationship, we have to know going in that that's the expectation. That we shouldn't just jump into it. That we should know that we should be prepared to lay down our lives for one another. Men, we should be focused on her. Doing all we can to help her, support her, 
and make her happy. And remember daily to tell her that you love her. Don't just think it, say it. Women need to know that they're loved. And, and it should be displayed in our actions. And women, we sh- you should be doing the same. Not focused on no- your needs, but on his. Taking care of him, supporting him, and letting him know that he is respected by you. Respect is important to men. That's why it's highlighted in this passage. If we're loving each other and displaying it in our actions towards each other, then we'll have a happy and love-filled marriage. And that's what God wants. So you've got to think back to our wedding vows. Not everyone's were the same, I'm sure, but I'm pretty confident that they didn't sound like this. For better, for richer, in health, to love and to cherish from this day forward or until I get tired of you or don't feel head over heels in love anymore. If yours did sound like that, I think you probably got off to a bad start and you might want to revisit that. It should have sounded more like for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish from this day forward until death do us part. It's not a conditional love. It's an unconditional love. And it's displayed in those vows in both extremes of of the circumstances. That's the love we should have in the good and the bad, not based on how we feel today, like Jesus' love for us. He always loves us every day, no matter what we do. Amen, and and good, good thing of that. So how about our children? How are we to love them? We're supposed to give them everything that they want, right? Everything that we never had. Give them all their desires and more. That iPad they've been wanting, that pony. Kids love ponies, I don't know why. Giving them stuff is a good way to show our love, right? Well, of course we're to care for them, but think about it. God doesn't give us everything we want, and obviously that's for the best. (laughs) So of course we want to care for them, and we want to display love for them. But in seeking what God had to say about it in his word, that's not the focus that I found. It wasn't about the displaying of the love for our children. In Deuteronomy Deuteronomy 4, 9, and 10, it says, Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life. But make them known to your sons and your grandsons. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, when the Lord said to me, Assemble the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children. And then in Deuteronomy 6, 5 and 7, 5 through 7, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit up in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. So in both of these verses, it talks about teaching our children. God made it clear to me as I sought the scriptures for this that that's how we should be displaying our love for our children is teaching them. In Psalm 78, 5-7, It says, For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, 
that they may rise and tell them to their children that they should put their, their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. So we're not to forget what God has done for us. We're to love the Lord with all of our hearts and teach our children to do the same. We're to be constantly pointing them to Jesus and letting them know that they should put their confidence in God and God alone. That's the best gift that we can give to our children. A gift that will outlast us. We love them by introducing them to their heavenly father, their perfect father. The one who loves them even more than us earthly parents ever could. And for those of us that may not have children, don't let that stop you. Especially here. There's lots of kids around here that need to be pointed to Jesus and they don't have to be your kids to do that. This is how Jesus loved his children as well. He spent time with them in different cities and synagogues and in their homes, loving on them and teaching them about the things of the kingdom. And we are to do the same with our children. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. The best thing that we can give to our kids is that instruction in the Lord and an introduction to their Lord and Savior. So what about our neighbors? Jesus loves them and calls us to love them as well. So who is our neighbor? I looked it up. (laughs) The definition of neighbor, as used in the Bible, is a friend. And this is kind of funny. I like this part. Any other person, and where two are concerned, the other one. (laughs) Thy fellow man, thy neighbor. Um, And according to Christ, any other man, irrespective of nation or religion, with whom we live or with whom we may chance to meet. So to sum it up, that's everyone. (laughs) Everyone is our neighbor. Just in case there was ever any confusion. In Matthew 22, 36-39, it says this, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So if we love our neighbor as believers, we've got to tell them about Jesus. We've got to. Jesus loves us all. He died for all of us so that none of us would have to perish. And that's his desire, that none should perish. He just needs someone to go tell everyone else about his plan, and we're it. He's called us to do that. As believers, we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, truth, and the life. And without him, we can't get to the Father. There's lots of people out there that are lost. They're searching around, not, not necessarily sure of what they're searching for. They're hurt, they're scared, they're confused. But we know the way. And we know that there's only one way. If we knew that there was a bridge just down the road that had been washed out and there was no signage or anything to warn anyone, what would we do? Would we try to warn the people of the danger or would we just wave as they went by? It would be pretty sad. Hey, have a nice day. Oh, those guys ran for a big surprise. Of course we wouldn't. We wouldn't just watch people drive to their doom off into a ditch. We would warn them. 
We're called to love our neighbor as, as we love ourselves. And we're called to share the good news of Christ with everyone that we chance to meet. Everyone's our neighbor. And I'll be the first to admit that I've not done a great job of this. I've not taken every opportunity to share Jesus with everyone that I chance to meet. I've not shared the gospel with everyone. And we have lots of reasons that we don't. But we have to remember that Jesus called us to do it. We make it so complicated, but really it's not at the end of the day. It's no different than warning someone of a washed-out bridge. We wouldn't feel afraid or concerned or uncomfortable about waving somebody down and saying, hey, you know, the bridge is out. Or if you saw someone in a store and, you know, they're trying to juggle their groceries and their baby and they drop their wallet, you know, no one's going to go, Ooh, I don't, I don't know if I should do that. I don't know if I want to share that information with them. That's, of course not. It's you know those kinds of things are easy, and sharing Christ should be just as easy. We're just warning somebody. It's as simple as this. Hey, friend. The road you're heading down leads to disaster. There's no safe passage there, and if you continue down this road, you'll find yourself in the ditch. But there's some good news I can share with you. There's another way, the only way, for safe passage to the destination that you want to find yourself. And his name is Jesus. You can follow him. Can I tell you about him? We don't have to make it complicated. We've got to love our neighbors, and that love for our neighbors has to overpower our fear or our, our, our discomfort. It has to, because we're his plan. We are the ones that are to let the the dying and hurting world know that there is a Savior and that he's available to them. We can't continue to just smile and wave as people go by. We have to tell everyone we come into contact with about our awesome Jesus, his love for them, his plan for them, and his way to ensure their safe passage into eternity. So let's love our husbands, our wives, our children, and our neighbors as Jesus loves us.